Good morning, Cornerstone. It's still morning. I think there's one more minute. <laughs> I will be uh, helping us to go through our scripture reading today. And today's scripture reading is Genesis chapter 15, verse 1 through 21. Bear with me, it's uh, the whole chapter. <laughs> after, all these, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out, of, out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cabanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. That's a lot of ites. Thank you, Jonathan. I almost always forget to do this, so... There you are. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I still haven't figured out how to wear a mask with my glasses on. It always fogs up, and then I can't, can't see very well. Yeah, you can relate, huh? Yeah. Yeah, so I just take them off. Yeah. So uh, we're in this uh, series, as you can see in the slide, uh, beginnings through Genesis, the first book of the, new, uh, the Bible, and uh, just to plug, our Sunday class is in the last book of the Bible. So if you want the two bookends, 
You can uh, continue coming to worship online or in person, or, and you can attend or zoom into our adult class, which is uh, 10 to 11 on Sunday mornings. You can get the two bookends of the, the scriptures. It's really uh, fun to be going through both at the same time. Yeah, it's a, a good perspective. So last Sunday, we, we looked at, in chapter 12 of Genesis, God's call to Abram, this guy who was living at the time in Haran, and he was told that he was to go to this country that he didn't know, and God would show him that country, show, tell him when he got there that this is it. And God promised to make Abram a great nation and to bless those who bless him and to curse those who curse him. So basically, he's saying, I got your back. Uh, don't worry about it. I, I am with you. And all the peoples of earth, he was told, would be blessed through Abram's descendant. And this uh, was a reference then to the beginning plan of salvation that God was starting to reveal specifically now for the world. Because we saw in the chapter 9, the world was judged of, this, of their sin because, with the flood because it was so bad. And so now God is starting to reveal his plan of salvation, which is ultimately realized in Jesus Christ, one of Abram's descendants. And so a lot has happened now between chapter 12 and chapter 15, where we are today in our text. Because our text, if you notice, starts with, after these things. So what is it referring to? And so I'm going to kind of summarize uh, a little bit in the next couple minutes, what are these things that happened between chapter 12 and chapter 15. So interestingly, right after we have the story of the call of Abram in chapter 12, there is a severe famine. So that kind of probably threw Abram into a kind of a tizzy, we say, or kind of confused, like what is going on? God told me to go to this country, and I'm here, and then there's this famine, and we're running out of food and water, and I, I don't understand why would God bring me here, right? Uh, what's he doing? And so, you know, and Abram was married to, he had a wife, Sarai, and he had uh, servants, and he had animals, and so he had responsibility for these uh, people. And so, to preserve the life of his wife and his servants and animals, he decides to go to Egypt, where there's food. So they go down to Egypt. And uh, so Abram's fear for his life and preservation of his family turns quickly to um, not a fear of starvation in the sense, but a fear of being killed. Because he sees that, you know, he knows Sarai is really beautiful and that if he goes into Egypt, he knows that the Egyptian men might see her and then kill him and take her. So he tells Sarai to lie, uh, a kind of a half-truth, to say that he, she is his sister. And then actually they'll treat him well because, you know, he's his brother and they'll treat him well so they could take her as, his, as their wife. And it, it's kind of a half-truth because Sarai is his half-sister, same father, different mother. But yeah, it's still a lie because he's her husband too. And so they go in there and it works. And Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, likes Sarai and takes her then into his palace. But God, in his faithfulness to the covenant he has made or the promise he made to Abram, fixes things. He, it's, Abram gets Sarai back uh, unharmed before anything happens. And then he goes back to Canaan with his family. And he's actually wealthier because Pharaoh gives them. Oh, thank you for moving the slide forward for me. And, and 
so it's, it's all good. So Abram's in, back in Canaan. He's wealthier than he was, and, and there's no famine anymore, and he keeps getting wealthier, it seems. God is blessing him, and, but thankfully, Abram's heart never gets caught up in the wealth he has. So then the next story is that Lot, who's his son-in-law, who's been with him the whole time, is also seems to be doing well, and there's so, so many servants and animals, they can't live together, Lot thinks. So Lot splits off and goes and lives near these towns called Sodom and Gomorrah, which may sound familiar to you. Next thing that happens, fast forward, Lot is in Sodom and Gomorrah, that area is attacked by this four-king army invading that part of the land, and he's captured, his family's captured, all their possessions are captured, and they're taken off as captives. Well, Abram then hears about this. He gets his local neighbor friends who he's close with, and they go and they attack the four armies, and they're victorious. I mean, the four king army, and they're victorious. And so they get Lot and his family, they're all the possessions, and they're bringing them back. And on their way back, they meet this king uh, from Salem called Melchizedek, and he blesses Abram in the name of the Most High God. So this, that's it. That's fast forward. We're up to chapter 15, and it says, after these things. And that, those are the things that happens up and right before our text. So we, we hear in chapter 15, we see that Abram, uh, and, and God addresses Abram and makes this covenant, covenant with Abram. And the first time this word covenant actually appears in the Bible is back in chapter 9, and with reference to Noah and God's covenant he makes with Noah after the flood. And you remember the sign of that covenant? It's the rainbow, right, in the sky. And so that's the first time. The second time is here in chapter 15 with Abram. And then the next time it appears, it's, it's with Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus, when he makes the covenant, giving the law to the Israelites after the Exodus. And then the next time is with King David, about David's, uh, he will have a descendant that sits on the throne forever. And then the next time is with the new covenant in Christ Jesus. And, and so these covenants we see become a way of helping us understand how God relates to us people and how we are to relate to God. And so what is a covenant? It's kind of a, maybe we don't hear that word very often today. Covenants are not exactly contracts in the way that we think of contracts today. Uh, a covenant is essentially a relationship, but it's a relationship which has been formalized and has uh, been brought under agreements as part of what the relationship should be, look like. And so there are blessings that come with if the relationship is kept, and there's penalties that come if the relationship is broken. Uh, I like how Rabbi Jonathan Sachs puts it. Uh, a contract is a transaction. A covenant is a relationship. Or to put it slightly differently, a contract is about interest. A covenant is about identity. It's about you and me coming together to form an us. That is why contracts benefit, but covenants transform. Take the marriage covenant for an example. Two people man and woman, agree to become husband and wife under a, a covenant. And as the scriptures, the Bible illustrates or describes that as the two become one flesh. It's like transformative. Marriage is to be a transformative covenant. 
Um, unlike just a contract where you get into like prenuptials and you know what's going to happen, you know, and you have this agreement like that, but it's not transformative if you approach marriage that way. That's why when marriage breaks apart, it's so painful because it's transformative. That's the intent of a marriage covenant. In Genesis 15, there are three things that we can see that we can learn about how God relates to us through his covenant that he makes with Abram. And the first thing is in verse 1. Verse 1, which says, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So here we see that as God did with Abram, he does the same with us. God promises himself to us. That's how he relates. He says, I will be with you. He promises himself to us. The first words God said to Abram were, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. In other words, God is saying, fear not, I am with you. I am your protection. Because a shield at that time is an, an instrument of protection for the soldiers. God promised his presence, his protection. And before this, God had protected Abram and his friends when they went and got Lot and rescued Lot against that army. He enabled them to be victorious. He was their protection. And he's just stating this to Abram now. And then in Genesis 12, you remember the call that he gave to Abram. He said, I will make you a great nation. And Abram up to this point has been without children. So Abram's kind of thinking, okay, you're giving me these promises. You're saying you're my shield. But there's an issue here that I, I have a question about. And then he goes on to ex explain and voice this in verses 2 and 3. Oh, Lord God, what will, be, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And so God assures Abraham but our Abram, he's not Abraham yet. I'll, I'll probably make that mistake a couple times. In, in the next couple verses, God says, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven. Number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Before God promised to make Abram a great nation, and here, he assures Abram with another promise and says, you will have a son, I promise you. And your offspring is going to be more numerous than you can count. And did God, I mean, did Abram believe God's words here? Yes, he did. We see that in the next verse. In verse 6, and he believed the Lord and he, meaning God, counted it to him as righteousness. So here's the second thing we see of that how God relates to us by his covenant he makes with Abram. God wants us to trust his word. He, he states things to us, and he is his word in that sense. What he says, he is doing, he's going to do, and he wants us to trust him. And Abram trusted God's promise to him about having a son, and God counted it to him as righteousness. You see, it was Abraham's trust in God's word that was counted to him as righteousness. It wasn't anything Abram did. 
He just trusted what God promised him. And that was counted to him as righteousness. And this is how God relates to us. He promises us uh, himself to us. And then he asks us to trust him, his word, to us. And if we choose not to trust him, then basically we're rejecting his love and his grace and his protection and his relationship with us. And so he, or we, practically are excluded from that relationship with the Lord God because we do not trust him. And this is actually the state we're all born in to begin with. We're born with sinful hearts. Everything we do is infected by some sinful, selfish, prideful um, thinking in our, in our minds, in our hearts. And, and we cannot but do these sinful things. Everything we think and do is infected with this. And Jesus actually described this state that we're already in from birth when he said in John 3, 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, meaning trust God's word and the Son of God, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. We already are condemned unless we trust in God's word. And God wants us to trust in his word. And, and we know from the scriptures, Jesus has been revealed and described as the word of God in the flesh. And so Jesus himself said in a very famous statement he makes about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is God's word in the flesh that he, God wants us to trust in him today. God wants us to trust his word as truth. And when we trust his word, and then because Jesus' death and resurrection, then we are able to be declared in the sense because of what Christ did, righteous. We are declared righteous because of what God in Christ Jesus has done. Just as Abram's belief in, in God and trust in his word was counted to him as righteousness. It's all because of what God has done in Christ Jesus. So the third thing we learn about how God relates to us by this covenant he makes with Abram is that God's covenant depends solely on him. Look at how God's covenant with Abram was ratified in verses 17 and 18. It describes it here. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring, I give this land. And before this, we saw God had instructed Abram to first get a one, uh, one three-year-old heifer. Now, a heifer is simply a, bo a female bovine, uh, which we often refer to as a cow, but that's incorrect. It's a female bovine who has not given birth yet. Uh, a cow is a female bovine who has given birth. So before they give birth, they're called a heifer. And a, a male cow or a male bovine is a bull. So a three-year-old heifer who hasn't given birth, uh, a heifer, yeah, they haven't given birth yet. And then one three-year-old female goat, uh, one three-year-old, um, it's a male, but it's a ram. And then this turtle dove and a young pigeon. And Abram uh, somehow knew he was supposed to cut these in half. So it was this common, it seems, or at least known practice of making a covenant. And so he cuts these, the animals in half except for the birds and he lays the halves uh, across from each other so you're able to walk in between. Kind of a really brutal, bloody image. And, um, and then 
we see here the smoking fire pot and this flaming torch as symbols of God's presence. It's like representing the Lord God going in between these pieces to ratify this covenant that he makes with Abram. But notice, only God is the one who walked through these pieces. Abram didn't walk through. He's out of commission at that point. Only God did. And see, the covenant was totally, absolutely dependent on God's word to Abram. It doesn't depend on what Abram does. It's not dependent on him because it's a covenant that God is making with Abram. It solely depends on him. And our experience with contracts and agreements in life is nothing like God's covenants with us, especially the new covenant in Christ Jesus because it doesn't depend on us. The covenant was made solely and only on God and what he has done. I like how um, Professor Bruce Shelley has put it and described it. I'm going to read a quote from him. He's a professor of like church history and other things from Denver Seminary. He's uh, deceased now, but uh, he was one of my professors and also my wife, Mays. We both sat underneath his teaching at some point when we were at Denver Seminary. So this is what he, he describes a covenant, the biblical covenant. Contracts are broken when one of the parties fails to keep his promise. If, let us say, a patient fails to keep an appointment with a doctor, the doctor is not obligated to call the house and inquire, where were you? Why didn't you show up for your appointment? He has simply to go on to his next patient and has his appointment secretary take note of the patient who failed to keep the appointment. The patient may find it harder the next time to see the doctor. He broke an informal contract. Now, according to the Bible, however, the Lord asks, can a mother forget the baby at her breast? and have no compassion on the child she has born, though she may forget, I will not forget you, speaking to the people of Israel. Now the Bible indicates the covenant is more like the ties of a parent to her child than it is a doctor's appointment. If a child fails to show up for dinner, the parent's obligation, unlike the doctor's, isn't canceled. The parent finds out where the child is and makes sure he's cared for. One member's failure does not destroy the relationship. A covenant puts no conditions on faithfulness. It is the unconditional commitment to love and serve. See, God's covenant depends solely on him, not on us. His plan of salvation for the world began with his call to Abram, and he promised to make Abram a great nation. And even that promise to make him a great nation was all God. It wasn't anything to do with Abram. And because there's actually three basic elements to form a nation, if you think about it, right? A nation needs people, right? Otherwise, you can't have a nation of one person, right? You need people, so God called Abram and his offspring, and we see that uh, in Genesis 12, and then through as they got to Egypt, and they multiplied in number, and, and they became a large group of people. Then a nation needs law, needs order, some, you know, way to function. And then as he takes them out of Egypt, the Exodus, he gives them on Mount Sinai the law through Moses, his servant, the prophet. And then they need a land, which we already saw him promise to Abram. So then he takes, under the leadership of Joshua, they go into Canaan, and he gives them victory over those nations there. So you see, God is, it's totally on God. All his actions bring this about to make Abram into a great nation. God's covenant with Abram was accomplished 
completely by God's action. And it's the same with the new covenant established in Jesus Christ. The new covenant was spoken of by the prophet Jeremiah and other prophets long before Christ even came. And it was saying, this is coming. This new covenant is going to be made. And listen to what God said over some 500 years before Jesus was born. The Lord said through Jeremiah, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Now while God's new covenant is in Christ Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross, it totally depends on Christ's action. It doesn't depend on us. It's the same way that he was with Abram. He made a promise to Abram, but Abram could not bring that about. It was only on what God could do, and Abram trusted God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Which brings us to the application point today. Our choice, God gives us a choice. Trust him or God or not. He wants us to trust his word. God's, trust God's salvation in Jesus Christ, the new covenant that he is making with us, his, the people of this world. And when we do trust him, we will experience the abundant life that we have been promised in the teachings of Christ, starting here right now and then going into the future for eternity. But if we choose not to trust him, then we will not experience that abundant life and we will face the consequences of living apart from the living God starting right now and going on into eternity if we continue to distrust God. So what do you choose? Do you choose to trust God or not? Actually, this is a choice we make every day. We choose every day, will we trust God and his word or not? And we will reap the consequences of that. Um, listen to the founder of the Methodist Church, John Wesley, uh, who prayed this covenant prayer that's been preserved for us. And, and see if the words resonate with you or not. This is his, his prayer. He says, I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you, or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I feel I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours, so be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. You know, this prayer, in a sense, forces us to ask God to and, and humbly come before him and say, all things in my life are yours. Do with me as you see fit. 
because I trust you. I trust that you are working in everything that happens, whether I have all things or nothing. You are working your way. You are transforming. And so we question ourselves when we listen to this prayer, are we willing to follow Christ in all things, to suffer for him if necessary, to submit our, our desires, our goals, our achievements, our plans for the larger purpose of Jesus transforming us, whether it be sickness or health that we experience in this life. It's your choice. Trust God or not. God loves you and me so much that he even made it possible for us to have this choice. That is even on God because we would not have this choice. We already stand condemned. But God made it possible for us to even choose to have faith. He is an awesome God. Life itself depends on him. So I pray that you and I will trust in him and trust his word and experience the covenant we have in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, it's awesome to think that you have been working for the plan of salvation from so long ago. Even before you revealed it, even before the, crea the creation, you knew that we would be sinful and rebellious. And often we wonder why. Why would you go through with it? Why would you do this if we're going to be so painful for you? And we know from your scriptures it's because you are love. And your love is demonstrated in the act and life of Jesus, God the Son. And so, Lord, all we can do is worship you and trust you. There's so many questions we have about life, about the difficulties we face and why, the timing of things, why. And yet, Lord, you, we see again and again, we can trust your word. And you have given us a hope and a future that is beyond our imagination. So Lord, we pray for us at Cornerstone to live daily in this trust and therefore to live among those who don't trust you and let them know what it means to be a follower of the living God. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.